I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they missed the bowl of kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. You're pinning words all like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Chris? 2017. That's our little thing that we, we do, you know, we're too cool to be 100 now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so y'all know how we're doing on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. So, you hear my man. Chris Derrick over there, writer, director from the directing, uh, writing, directing team, Derrick Brothers. What's going on, Chris? Not much, man. Just, uh, just relaxing today. <laughs> I, had a, I finished up a pilot outline last night, and <clears> so uh, late last night. So um, damn vampire. See, <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm so. It's actually, it was just an outline for, to do like a to do a rewrite on it. Um, but I'm really, really happy with it. Right. I'm really, really happy. Um, and uh, it's a new show on that starts tonight that I'm dying to see. It's called Top of the Lake. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. the, the second season of that. So. Have you gotten into Ozark? I have watched like, Dude, the, have you seen like, it, Nick? Like, I have seen Ozark. Ooh, I've watched ooh, the whole thing. It, it, it's too. really well, not mm-hmm. only well written, it's well directed. Right. J- Jason, Jason Bateman. Bateman. Right. Jason Bateman. Right. Really good. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Dan Sackheim from uh, Game of Thrones right. did, I think, this, episodes three and four. Okay. It's just a really cinematic show. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's really, it's got a, um, a, yeah, there's a, there's a tone to it. The way it looks, the way it's shot. Um, the acting is so really good. I, I mean, like mm-hmm. that family, the, like the criminals, like the, with the girl who runs it all. It's just like, that's such interesting. It, I'm, it's, I, well, people haven't seen it. You need to see it. <laughs> I like, I like what Bateman is doing now too, where he's like the most likable guy, the right. most everyman guy and in like the gift. And in this, he kind of brilliantly right. turns that around. You know, right. he's like a kind of an asshole. Exactly. It's just like in the gift, he's really bad. Right. Like in, in Ozark, he's a little more sympathetic, but mm-hmm. still not a, not a great guy. You know, um, I like what he's up to. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's amazing. The, the, the films and stuff and the TV shows that are out today and they're just, the level of writing and like you said the direction you know the things that they can do today is just super amazing to me so and thank you very much for coming on nick everybody thank you for having me nick and tosca correct correct <laughs> nicely done i tried i did my little thing there um um let's tell the little kids about you know what you're up to who you are what, what your show is and you are a writer, showrunner? I'm a writer, showrunner, um, uh, originally a novelist. Right now I'm doing a show called Channel Zero. Right. Uh, it's an anthology horror show on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yes. Every season is based on something called a creepypasta, which... Have you uh, heard of that, Chris? I did not. I saw that in the thing, and I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, i got to ask you about that. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, there's, there's some people are like <laughs> nodding their heads. They know what it is. Right. Most people have no idea what this is. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, creepypasta is kind of a stupid sounding word. Um, it comes from 
copy pasta, which is a phrase that people used in the early days of the internet to describe like little bits of little stories, anecdotes, whatever stuff that was copied and pasted from one uh, message board okay. to another. Um, and then people started writing scary stories. Uh, uh, that were fictional but purported to be true stories, like oh, this happened to a friend of mine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, copy and and the 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 ones that were particularly uh, creepy or affecting got copied and pasted um, and kind of went viral, uh-huh. and they so they call that creepy pasta. Uh-huh. So it became like a whole genre um, of of horror storytelling on the internet, okay. basically like modern urban legends. Mm-hmm. And some of these stories um, developed cult followings. Uh, Candle Cove is one right. of them, which we did for our first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was a fan of this stuff from way back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I would stay up late at night. I'm an insomniac. I would read these stories. Sounds crazy. Um, so, <laughs> so it was kind of surprising to me, like, nobody had ever really, like, like adapted these for the mainstream. Right. You know, there's interesting. There, people have done fan fiction of them. People mm-hmm. have done like fan made video games okay. of them. Really? Uh, yeah. There's all kinds of fan made material. The the most popular ones like like Candle Cove and No End House, mm-hmm. which is our second season, which is about to come out. Um, they like really uh, you know go to kind of great lengths. Mm-hmm. Like there's sequels. There's mm-hmm. all this stuff. So. Uh, so there, there's 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 a built-in fan base, mm. um, and these the best creepypasta stories kind of strike a deep chord. Mm. Um, and the idea for Channel Zero was uh, we should do an anthology horror show where every season we adapt one creepypasta. Mm-hmm. So it's um, you know in the vein of uh, format-wise, like True Detective, American Horror Story, mm-hmm. where every season is one story. Love it. You can start from scratch. Um, and I wanted to do something a little different with this, which I don't know of another show that, that does it, uh, where every season we have one director do the entire season. Oh, so, yeah. I'm going to catch that. Okay. Yeah, it's, so it's yeah. only six episodes. Right. So it's like enough that, you know, that's like in with cable-sized episodes, mm-hmm. that's about four and a half to five hours of screen time, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so you can have one director come into it. We block shoot it like a film. Yeah, I was just going to say that you guys Wait, block it. Oh, okay. or when you, oh yeah. So I just want to stop you on that. I mean, like, I think there's only two shows that I know that did that successfully, I think. The Nick mm-hmm. with Soderbergh and the first season of True Detective. <clears throat> right. And I kind of think that it's a very um, interesting model. Well, also just Top of the Lake. No, yeah, Top of the Lake, the first season. It's an interesting model because what I think is was, was sometimes missing from like serialized TV cinema, what it would be now, you know, is that there's a cohesive like visual voice yep. that goes with like the cohesive, like narrative voice. And I think that's a really smart choice to do that. I, I mean, I, I know it's hard to do probably for a lot of shows, but six episodes, yeah, you can knock that out and it can, and it really feel like a, like a longer, like, like contained piece that it's, it's your vision and the filmmaker's vision yeah. and it like kind of melds really well. Yeah, TV has to be cinematic now. It really does to, to, um, to stick. And uh, what True Detective did in Top of the Lake, um, that was a, a specific influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they don't do that we do is, um, 
is every season we have a different director. So True Detective was one one director. Fukunaga did the whole first season. Then right, for right. some reason, when they came back, they didn't do that anymore. Like well, the second had a, season, they had was, a problem. Those two guys had a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what that is. What but, did you but, do, Nick? But, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but but you know because of that thing at the Emmys where mm-hmm. where Fukunaga didn't thank right. Uh, um, Nick Pesciolotti. Yeah. I was like, okay, they they were There is. I can't speak to that. You know specifically. I've I've just heard the kind of you know, yeah. that are, But um, but you know, I, whatever went down there, there was some chemistry that made something really great on the exactly. first season. You know? exactly. and, and that first season was extraordinarily well directed. Right. One of the best directed right. things I've ever seen on TV mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and then season two, you know, well directed also, but there wasn't a coherence of vision in the same way. There was a lot of different directors. What I had hoped was, like, what I would have loved to have seen from that show is there was there was talk about like William Friedkin coming in mm. directing the entire second season, mm-hmm. or uh, Andrew Dominic, who's one of my favorite directors. Right, right. Um, but instead, they you know they they had a series of different directors. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do was was what I had hoped that True Detective would do, where each season would be. Uh, somebody else's vision melding with the showrunners. So, and you know, the Nick in Top of the Lake, it's one director for the whole season, but it's the same director each right, season, right, Jane right, Campion right, right. or uh, Soderbergh. Um, so we we wanted to do, uh, and I this wasn't the plan until I knew it was six episode seasons, which was after we sold the show. But but once we, we got that, can, can we get into? I don't mean to, to, yeah. to interrupt. Can we get into? How you sold the show? Sure, yeah. So, like, so well, what is your background? Where are you from? How did you get into the game? I need to just I'll back go up. way we, back. We jumped a little way back. That's yeah. All. <laughs> um, okay. So I started as a novelist. Okay. Um, I'm uh, I'm originally I'm from New Orleans originally. Right. Um, I hear that strong Cajun accent, but <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, but I've been I've been I've lived all over the place. Um, so, uh, uh, but New Orleans is really I mean it's a weird place. Right. I don't know if you ever lived oh, there. Yeah, but I, I was just there a few months ago. I'm about to shoot a pilot there. Oh, so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, God, I'm dying to shoot something there. I've never yeah. shot anything there. Oh Everybody God. shoots We're in New Orleans. In Abbeville. Oh, wow. This, this show is called Abbeville. As a wow. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when I when I was a little kid there, it was, um, it was a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a friend of my mom's, like, when I was a little kid, the, the stories, that was, the stuff that was in the air was like, People we knew were were mugged and killed, right. you know, um, or like beaten up by the cops, right. or um, uh, you know there was a murder down the street. It was it was a, a weird atmosphere. I think like some of that seeped into. Well, well here's the deal. I don't mean to interrupt you. I mean my show takes place in the hood in a place called the Bottoms, which is the ghetto, right yeah. in Abbeville, and it's so bad there. That I thought they were like, oh no, we don't go to New Orleans. It's crazy there. I'm like, motherfucker, no, it's crazy here. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah. You used to hear stories about uh, there was one the one exit on the highway that you weren't supposed to get off. Mm-hmm. I think it was St. Bernard Projects, where you know you would get cars would go off. People would throw themselves in front of the cars to get hit by the cars, and then really? and then rob the drivers. Uh, so you know you just hear these stories. So. We moved away when I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Then I grew up like way out in the woods for a little bit, and then in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So it was like a whole bunch of different kind of. So right, so it. I tend to write like stuff that combines all those worlds, I love all those it. environments. I love it. Yeah. Um, I uh, for a while I was a novelist. I wrote a bunch of books that um, nobody has ever read. <laughs> uh, some of them were published. Still, nobody has ever read them. They, they, they like they, what type of stuff? 
uh, psychological horror. Um, I wrote... uh, It's still in your warehouse where you are. Yeah, yeah. Very much the the same kind of stuff. Just, um, you know, I I, I had a day job. I was not... I never expected to make a living as a writer. Mm -hmm. Like, I I went and I was an assistant at a finance company in Mm -hmm. New York, uh, and I was writing books at night. Um, You know, like like I said, they, they were... They weren't published. They were privished. You know, they're out there in book form. A couple people have like, I gave like, away a few to my family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you buy yourself dinner off. Like, um, but, uh, um, but you know, some of those short stories and stuff kind of evolved into things that I, I've done in the screenwriting world and TV world. Um, at I always wanted to to work in film. Um, I just didn't know how. Right. You know, I it was like my my mom's a teacher, my dad's a, a musician and part time professor. Like they don't have any connection. You know, you just don't have the built in permission. Right. See, I, I'm so glad you're talking about this because I, the number one question that I get, I'm sure you get it as a showrunner, is how do I break in? Everybody yeah. all over the world hits me damn there every day. How do I get in? How do I break in? So I love the fact that you're talking about how I came here or whatever, wherever I was. I didn't know. Yeah. I had to find it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's that's what I love about the show. Go yeah. Ahead. And to answer that question, how do you, like, I don't know. You know, like, right. it, it's um, uh, it's different for everybody, everybody, right? You gotta write as much as you can and hone mm-hmm. your craft, and then you gotta go and like meet people right. and and hope you're lucky mm-hmm. you know I, it, I everybody that I know who makes a career actually like m- lives off of writing has been like really lucky including right. including most of all me like right. you just you, it just requires so much like shit I can't believe that happened you know <laughs> like I can't believe this person read the script or whatever right. uh, well yeah because I, I think that what happens people don't kind of uh, realize that it's so mercurial mm-hmm. and then no one it's interesting because people don't talk a lot about how the, like there's a response to art right <clears throat> and it's like an art is not something that we really give a lot of credence to in this country right. but but in Hollywood that is like there's that emotional response that people get from looking at something right. whether it's a film you did a short film or most people did you write something and then and then and, the, and then because of the way it is with art you have no idea what that's going to do and that's kind of the beauty of it but it's also like the scary part of it is it can just like take you to all different places and you're like like you just said, I know it, that, that he was going to read it, or or so so was going to respond, or blah, blah, blah. and you know what, and, and and you can't quantify that. And I look at that as the like the luck in it is that you got someone that you didn't think who was going to read it, yeah. but the skill that you said in terms of like like you honing your skill is is that they that that person picked it up and didn't put it down after page three because you put in the work to get it done. Yeah, you got to prepare for the luck. Yeah, for, you know for sure. Like no nobody. There's nobody who got their foot in the door um, and then got to stay in despite being a total hack. You know, right. Really, I mean, I guess you can, you, you can pick out a few names, but but you got to produce, right? Like you you got to you know you got to put in the hours sitting at home alone and not going out to parties or seeing your friends because you're just you know you need you need you need chunks four hour five hour chunks of writing. Yeah, you do. You can't yeah. do it in between like tweets and whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah have to exactly. Do the, the 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 deep work, you know. Who was calling? To, what was the guy calling the other day? 
chair time. <laughs> You get paid. Oh, yeah. You get passing seats. You Pass get paid for chair time. Yeah, exactly. You don't get paid for the ideas. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's a good point. Uh, uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Especially, it's one of the most challenging things about about doing a show and making mm-hmm. a show because you got to, you know, you got phones got to be on all the time, and mm-hmm. like people are asking questions or you're in production <laughs> or whatever. Um, you'll never have more time to write than you do before things work out. <laughs> exactly. uh, and then one of the challenges when you're working on something is. Uh, or when when something's in production or actually getting made, it's just where do you find the time to write? How do you right. keep that? I'm uh, I'm doing something. I'm doing an experiment now mm-hmm. um, that's kind of weird. Uh, so so I'm not Jewish, but mm-hmm. I'm now sort of doing like my own version of Shabbat, where it's okay. just like turn off the electronics, turn off the phone <laughs> from end it. of Friday into like the end it. of Saturday. Right. Saturday, I do a shit. That's all. Yeah, oh, well, I'm writing. You yeah, know? I'm yeah. reading, writing. Um, but uh, I, I am allowed to turn on the TV and watch it because that counts as work. Yeah, I can sit and absorb like absolutely. several episodes of TV. Yes. I can watch like you know ten episodes of Twin Peaks or whatever. <laughs> but uh, but um, you got to get your headspace right. <laughs> yeah, no, th- this actually came from um, uh, an actress's mother on set. You know, mm-hmm. her her the actress's mom came to visit set and was like talking to me. Um, while we were at the monitor and was mm-hmm. saying some kind of, she was kind of like healer or holistic person type thing. Uh, and I was kind right. of listening like, yeah, yeah, this is cool. It's not for me, whatever. <laughs> and then she told me this thing that she does. She does this, this like, uh, you know, no electronics on set. Um, and, uh, and I was like, actually, Boy, that first that's a good idea. That hard as fuck let, let me text my girlfriend yeah. who, who is Jewish and is going to be really happy when, uh, when uh, I suggest. But can, yeah. can I interrupt you with something? Yeah. It's very funny because it just so, I'm really glad you said that too. Because tomorrow's episode we're dropping is about writing simultaneous, simultaneously. Because I have so many assignments that I do that I always am writing two or three things at once. Yeah. And I've taught myself, and we talk about this on the show a lot, about a lot of people write one thing and they have a deadline on that one thing. I'll write one thing and I'll add a whole nother thing that's on the exact same deadline. Right. So there's a reason why I have so many scripts because I'm constantly pushing myself to do something else at the same time. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the same uh, 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 concept you're talking about when you shut off the bullshit <laughs> and you can focus. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I'm the kind of writer who is like constitutionally inclined to work on one thing okay. at once, okay. but I'm working on five things at once. Right. And so I, I have to consciously teach myself how to get into the headspace of I'm working on this, I'm focused on this, I'm letting the ideas like percolate and bubble up about this, mm-hmm. and then turn that off and get in the same headspace on a different project right. the next day or right. later that day, which is always a challenge for mm-hmm. me. But you're uh, dealing with it all the time because you have people calling you about wardrobe and everything else. So that keeps your mind going even when you're writing and you shut everything off. You still have to answer the phone, so to speak. Yes. Because they need to know, well, did you want a long wig or a small wig? Did you want this? And You know what I mean? Yes. They, we're not going to get that set. Can we go over here? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do it during production. Right. Um, but, but part of the advantage of the way I've done things on Channel Zero mm-hmm. with the one director per season is that it's not like mm, a lot of TV where, you know, one episode and the director's kind of a traffic cop and right. all the big... Dis- so I, I hire... I look for and hire collaborative auteurs for the show. Mm-hmm. So they become basically producing directors. Right. Um, and a lot of my heaviest lifting is in prep. It, obviously in the writing, but also in prep. 
And by the time we're shooting, I'm there on set most of the time, mm. but the director can make a decision like about wardrobe. Right. You know, once we've once we've made sure mm. we're philosophically on the same page, mm-hmm. like I don't need to be consulted on you know every yeah. shirt or whatever. Yeah. Um, the only exceptions to that are like... Well, you guys have your tone meeting, so you kind of you oh, yeah. talk about it all there. Yeah, well, we we don't have a traditional tone meeting because we block shoot the entire oh, thing. Right. We have a sort of like rolling tone and concept meetings early in prep. Okay. So, I mean, we do. We just don't call it that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, by the time we're like the beginning of prep, mm-hmm. the director and I are usually really like... Fil- in sync. Got it. Um, and, and every director is quite different, you mm-hmm. know, so uh, their personalities are different, their approaches are different, and I, I, I hire people who um, are up-and-coming, exciting, I, th- I think visionary mm-hmm. directors mm-hmm. from the indie world. Right. Um, and so in, in most cases, they've, and these are people hired to do a whole season of TV, they've only got one feature under their belt um, <laughs> or the no let you do that. <laughs> Incredibly, they did. Wow. I, yeah. The, for, on the first installment of Channel Zero on Candle Co., we mm-hmm. hired uh, Craig McNeil, who directed right. a film called The Boy, mm-hmm. not the puppet doll film. There's a different film called The Boy, it's a really beautiful art film. It's about a, a young sociopath. It's really creepy. Mm. It's really restrained and kind of uh, pastoral, mm-hmm. um, but chilling. And so that's, I take it to... That's up your alley, Craig. <laughs> you like that type this of is, shit. It's a really good film. I highly... Um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. What, can, you, can you see that anywhere? Do you know? Yeah. I, I'm not sure what it's on now. I don't remember if it's on Netflix. I'm sure you can, you know, yeah. get it on we'll iTunes find it. or whatever. Find it. This is what I hate about stuff now. I don't know, but I hate when it's like, which of See, ten thousand yeah, platforms? You, exactly. You're not sure where to get it. And if it was like ten years ago, it'd be out on DVD. Right. You could get it on DVD yeah, somewhere, and you, and you right. wouldn't have to be thinking about like where the hell to get shit. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, you take your Apple TV remote and press the Siri button down and go. Where is the boy? Or, you know, whatever. Right. Sometimes, but then it doesn't have that on Amazon. I don't know. What, <laughs> but, yeah, it's on one of those things. Um, and it's really good. And uh, um, so I took him to Sci-Fi right. and said, like, this is the guy, you know. And Was he somebody you knew or somebody they submitted? No, no. It, he, he came to me through WME. Okay. Um, the, the agency submitted mm-hmm. him. Um, and... I watched this film, you know, and they submitted a ton of people. Yeah. Like, I, I, so I watched a ton of films every season. Um, and, uh, and they, they were kind of like, huh, this is, this is not, uh, you know, normally we hire like experienced TV directors. Right. And I, and I, I told them my, my vision for what the show could be right. and, and the reasons for hiring a director like this. And our budget is very low. Right. So it, it makes sense to hire indie directors who made films for like a hundred thousand right, dollars or whatever. Right. Um, and Craig did an animatic showing like his vision of how he would oh, do a certain yeah. scene or whatever. And they were like, okay, cool. And, and we brought in his DP from the boy. Okay. So, um, and then he did so well. The Wonder the twins in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's important when you're hiring directors like this, mm-hmm. um, who are, uh, auteurs, um, who come from the indie world, who, who don't know the infrastructure of TV, right. To surround them with support and, and empower them, um, and to bring and it bring, starts with their DP for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, but I mean on every level, right. you know? and um, 
And Craig did such a good job that on the second season, No mm-hmm. End House, which mm-hmm. is the one that's about to come out, um, I, uh, I found this director, Stephen Pyatt, who... Mm-hmm. Um, and he came to me actually through a friend who was a festival <clears throat> admissions uh, person mm-hmm. um, who I asked her about, you know, exciting young filmmakers who I might not know about. Mm-hmm. And she said, check this guy out. And his movie, Uncle John, is on is on Netflix. I know you can watch it there. Right. Um, I watched it. It was different from the style of what I was looking for, but I could just see he had like a great voice and really like a sure hand. Right. And he made this movie for like zero money. And it's <laughs> really just like, Intense and lovely and strange. It's well, not even a horror movie. We'll just, also send him Architects. We'll send it yeah. to him. Chris and his brother directed the movie that I produced. It's fucking. If, if it looks have, so expensive. If too. you got directors for <laughs> potential future seasons of Channel Zero, send them to These me. Dudes. Send them to me. So tell me. This is short, but it's a, it's a proof of concept more than anything. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. Send it. Send it. Yeah, Please. I mean, I mean, people, you know, I, t- I just want to say uh, someone, someone, who was the guy who. Did, who uh, there was someone who thought we spent like $100,000 on it. Yeah, I mean, everybody I'd send it to. No, no, no. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Some of my big producers who sent it were like, what did you guys, what kind of budget you have? I was like, I can't even tell you. You'd be like, what? Yeah, you'd be like, shit, no, you didn't. Send it. I'm always hunting for really exciting new talent. So... For no end house, um, we brought Stephen did you know he did a presentation with his right. um, his producing partner Eric Crary. Um, we showed it to Sci Fi, and there was like no hesitation because really? because the first season had gone so well, um, and they were just like, okay, do your thing. Right. So um, so Stephen did every episode of of No End House. I love I that did you an do amazing that. job. Mm. Um, that one is that's that's the one. Is uh, I don't know when the show airs, but that it. It's coming on, the air date is September 20th, 10 p.m., sci-fi. I want to ask you something about sci-fi, because I always feel this is, the thing about sci-fi is that I kind of feel like they tend to take certain kind of chances with what they do, I feel, because they aren't trying to do some big prestige show like, you know, spend five, ten, fifty million dollars per episode kind of thing. So I feel, but... And the fact that you're doing a kind of niche that almost no one else touches, mm-hmm. that I'm just asking your experience in terms of like, I mean, it seems like they would give a, the creators a certain kind of freedom that you don't get elsewhere. Sci-fi has been really good to us. Mm-hmm. Really good. Um, when Well, you I, have been on some other shows, so it's not like your, yeah, first, your first rodeo. Yeah, no. Well, this is my first time as a showrunner, but I've certainly, I've, I've been on a lot of other shows. Right. Um, I've seen... Difficult situations with mm-hmm. networks and studios. I've seen smooth, cool situations. Right. We have a really good one. We have really yeah. smart execs at our studio and at our at our network. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, originally a pitch that we took around to lots of different places. Okay. There were, I think, three, maybe four other places that bid on it. We could have taken it to a uh, streaming network. Um, we could have taken it to other cable networks. Um, and I got on the phone with Bill McGoldrick, who's mm-hmm. our senior executive, um, and he just understood what the vision of the show was. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like they were enthusiastic about it and that it was most likely to actually get on the air right. the way we saw it on sci-fi. So, you know, my, my fear going into the first season was that because, you know, people see like Sharknado or whatever on mm-hmm. sci-fi, that... 
and, I, and I know Scotty is, Mullen. Trust me, we've had him on the show. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, like the sci-fi has gone through a number of different iterations. Right. And this show is based on something called Creepypasta. Okay. The first season was about like a haunted puppet show with like evil puppets. Right. And you hear those things and you, you expect that it's going to be camp. You think it's, um, you know, in a best possible world, like it's going to be Tales from the Crypt, right. which I love Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. I grew up on it. Um, but we wanted to do something kind of weirder and different and more um, restrained and, and, and cerebral and psychological. And, oh, just, uh, I, I, you know, like I remember I was watching, uh, there's a show on sci-fi, it's kind of a guilty pleasure, it's called Killjoys. Yeah. Right? Because yeah, I good love show. that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. no one does it. I remember watching all the tri- the promos for Channel Zero, and I was like, "This is going to be so dope because it's 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 that darker edge that I always like to see sci-fi do, right? You know, and right. outside of the expanse, they're not really really doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but 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 again, see to me, that's the freedom I think you get from going to sci-fi because they're like. It's not so like we're hard sci-fi or we're doing stuff like Sharknado. It's like there's that gamut that they'll run, and mm-hmm. I think that's what's cool about that network. Yeah, I mean, well, I think I think where we came in, we came in at an interesting time where uh, there was a new generation of executives at sci-fi. Um, I think they were trying to kind of cover some different genre areas. So they, they want to do space, so they did The ex- Expanse. Mm-hmm. They want to do fantasy, so they did The Magicians. Um, both of those have done, I think, really well for very them. Well, very and well. they did, why not, let's try horror, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we came in in that space. And, um, it you know, it's, it's working out pretty well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting... It's an interesting relationship that you have with your student and your network. Um, on uh, on Hannibal, I remember, I like I never saw or heard a note by the third season. I don't know if they came in. And were you were you on Hannibal from the beginning? No, I was okay. only on the third season. Okay. Um, so so by the time I came in, like. I, Brian Fuller had like worked some kind of <laughs> magic. He's you know he's a sorcerer. Uh, right. of, uh, There's only a stuff. few of them. Right? Yeah, and and um, and we were able to make this like weird art show right. that that went on TV. It was like a weird art project mm-hmm. that happened to be on network TV and mm-hmm. got on by pretending to be a procedural in its first season, <laughs> you know, and, and slowly unveiled itself and revealed to the world right. like what it really was. Right. And by that time, I don't know what, but I, I never saw a note, you know. Mm. Um, and then I, I've been on shows where, um, where you get terrible conflicting notes mm-hmm. and the show kind of strangles itself. I've been mm-hmm. on shows where you get great notes and, uh, and, and the show evolves and becomes cleaner and smarter because right. of notes that came in. Right. And we what, had... What was, your, what was your first show? The first show that I was on was Teen... It was the second season of Teen Wolf right. on MTV. And how, how, how did that come to you? What happened? How did that happen? <clears throat> um, it's actually... It's, it's an interesting... So this goes back to what we were talking about. Like, how do you get your first job? Right. How do you break in? It's like... It's... You kind of have to get your own first job. Mm-hmm. Um, and... This requires me to go back a little bit. So I, I came to L.A. with... Uh, with We're called pa- the Rant Room. That's why you can just yeah, rant we, uh, <laughs> anywhere. Just let me go. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, uh, I had a writing partner when yeah. I came to L.A. And um, we, you know, we wrote our samples together. We had sold a pitch. Um, 
And the first year that we got out here was 2010. Okay. And uh, we were lucky enough to... Right have, after this dragon, pretty much. Right? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I, you know, sort of like oblivious because... Because I wasn't working in TV during the right. strikes. People talk about the strike. I had no contact. Chris and I were out there picking and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I um, people talk about, like, what was different before and after. I had I had no idea, right. you know. The um, money. <laughs> yeah. The money, yes. Well, people say features change oh, more radically now. than. Yeah. It's dead. It's like it's, you don't make, I mean, I was, I was looking at, I was thinking about something the other day. People were like, you know, what's happened to, 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 to movies? And I said, same thing that happened to movies is the same thing that happened to broadcast television. Hmm. There's like, there's no ability to take risk. And there's this desire to make this product that is solely, that everybody has to like it. Because we want to spend so much money on it. And then all of a sudden, and it's like, the reason why a lot of people don't watch, you know, the procedurals all seem the same is the same reason why all the movies seem the same. It's just like, no one wants to do anything that potentially could make you uh, could make you lose your shirt. <laughs> yeah. But but on cable and on the streaming services, right. they'll throw out a season and see, does anyone even think this is acceptable? Right. And then, because right. they don't know, but the thing is, they're not afraid to throw that money out. Correct. For, I mean, I guess the, the model has changed in a way that they know that that the show's going to be profitable. Yeah, with, with some, international financing. You know what? Let's stuff. just make it and see. And if it's a hit, it's a hit. If it's right. not, you know, it's just like it's just like the way movies used to be when they were like, you know, in the 90s. Well, okay, it didn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's your next movie. <laughs> exactly. you want anyway, you know. <laughs> just come in and pitch. We'll give you 500 grand. Here's your next with, TV show. <laughs> with 500 TV shows out there, you have to distinguish yourself. Right. I mean, you have to be weird. You have to, you have to do something different. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for the moment, at least, cable networks, streaming networks are, are, I think, more willing and open to say, like, okay, let's try that crazy thing. You know, let's right. let's do that niche, uh, different show. Yeah. So it's well, a good time. Yeah, because, you know, I think about it. I was talking to someone the other day. We were talking about what it is, the concept when you're writing. Like, honestly, what does it mean in a business sense? And it's like, you're writing something it's not to make your show. It's not to have someone like it, not to get an agent. You're writing to have someone say, I want to invest 70 to $100 million. Right. That's a really in good point. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's like, different. I, I, mean, I mean, like, that's yes. the pressure on right. you, certainly, because cause even doing a television show, you know, if like if they're, if they're doing thirteen episodes, like you you know like they're doing this nurse ratchet nurse right. ratchet thing, right? Mm-hmm. Who the fuck knows how she is? I mean, that, that movie, <laughs> it's a great movie, right? But pe- but people I met didn't know who you know the, about mm-hmm. The Shining, so right. how do you know about that? Right. Um, and I'm kind of like, and they gave the, a two season order. I mean, it's probably a hundred million dollars. It's probably like we're doing that two season order. Two season order. Two season. Yeah. Thing. Who's playing Nurse Ratchet? Uh, I, I Sarah Paulson maybe okay. I don't I think and I'm like okay hold on a minute that's what they used to do with movies they used to say let's do something crazy let's give you a hundred million dollars is right. that Netflix Netflix I believe it's Netflix. I'm not sure. I mean, that's that's like a, a show of force. You know, right, that's right. flexing their muscles because they, they want to be in business with Ryan Murphy. Murphy yeah, they got right. Shonda. Yeah, they right. want to get. Yeah. They're like, all right, cool. You want to do that? Yeah. Know, but, Here we go. But and that goes back to my point about who's more angry about about cable. 
Right. Is it the broadcast networks or is it television? I mean, is it the f- film? Because broadcast is now, is, I mean, everyone's been saying, oh, they're going out, they're going out, there, trouble, trouble, trouble. But now when their top people like Shonda and Ryan Murphy are getting yanked from Fox and from ABC, right. it's like, you know, same picture they're in, the same picture that the, the, the film industry's in. It's right. like, you know, can you make something like entertaining, interesting, different, risky. And it's like, they'll only do it in the movies if it's someone who's like made them several billion dollars, you know, who's like a, right. who's like a Chris Nolan. Right. Now granted, I mean, you see all these people who are getting up, I mean, like Misha Green with Underground. I, I mm-hmm. mean, she didn't have this massive track record, but it's like, let's do something crazy and right. threw it at her. Right. And you never, and it's like, that's the beauty of television now, mm-hmm. which yeah. is gone from movies, you right. know? Yeah, and there's this, for writers, it's a, it's a particularly weird and kind of dizzying situation where there's so many shows and such an appetite for shows now that the ranks of experienced showrunners are totally depleted. Mm-hmm. So you can have somebody like that or somebody like me mm-hmm. where it's like they've never run a show before. They have a script. The network wants to make it. They go, okay, we're going to invest, you know, between 20 and $70 million. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, on the low end, right. 20, but, like, it's a lot of money. That's right. a That's a... A, a corporation, Correct. and and they're going to let you know her or me or this new writer run the show. That's, they, didn't, they, not, didn't, they didn't push you in the showrunners program or nothing. No, I was. I did do the showrunner program, but but uh, but still, yeah. you know, that's see, see, see. Now this goes back to you know, these theories I have about what happens and why people have these kind of strange kind of like uh, like notions of what it is. It's like. Running a show is probably no different than being the writer-director on a big movie. Yeah. You're making all those decisions, you're doing all that stuff, and you know what? People have been doing that since the late 60s. Really, these guys come out of film school... They have the wherewithal. They have the understanding. It's just mm-hmm. there's some is that there's that demarcation line that's still stuck in that's still more in television of like is because because writer because when you get into television you're writing. The, like like you're not used to having to be the one making all the other production decisions right. that the filmmaker right. has to do. But it's but also the pace. The pace. It's is the so pace. Well, yeah, that but turnaround. Well, is so but fast. in your thing that you're doing, it's like it's not coming on weekly. You yeah. know, in terms of like it's being. I mean, like it's not shot. You know, like like that like that broadcast schedule is missing from what you're doing. Yeah, my shooting it there. Basically, I'm making a. Uh, five or six hour horror movie right. every nine or ten months, which is not easy. Right. But but there is the time to craft something in a way that if we were doing twenty four episodes of it'd podcast be, TV, it'd be a little different. Extremely really difficult. Difficult. But but to me, I feel it's like it's it's. I bet you the the pressure on you is similar to what's it's like someone who's shooting a movie that's going to be one of these like fifteen week type of movies. I think that's know? true. The 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 one potential difference is like. Duration, right? Because if they're trusting a showrunner to who who may be like an artistic genius, but also crazy, you don't know, like some people, like it's not just one movie. It might be seven seasons. It might be like seven to eight years to deal with True. this person who, if the show gets more and more successful, like could turn out to be like totally. So you know the the skills that and the temperament that we have as writers is not necessarily the skill and temperament that, like, a manager should have. You know, there's only certain right. writers no, no, that, No, like, I get that. And, and, and that's why I'm saying that, I, to me, I honestly think that the, the, the showrunners, like you're talking about, 
you, you know, I bet you, for you directing your feature film, probably not going to be that difficult. Because you've gone, because, the, the, you know, it's like the whole thing about both those uh, jobs are I got to manage people, I got to make decisions, and I got to tell people yes or no. That's mainly what you're doing with every situation. Right. And you spend all the time in prep figuring out. It's, it's like, like you're not making Waterworld, you know? Right. <laughs> you're, not a, you're not making Apocalypse Now where you're like, you know, where you're in a part of the world where people can't get to you right. and you're rewriting on the fly and you're getting these kind of like someone like Marlon Brando coming in I want three million dollars just to read your script kind of thing like that's not happening and those are the horror stories I think people feel are happening on most you know like most right, but, film situations but, but you're not the case you just hit it on the nose I mean I've I produced almost 20 over 20 projects since 2009 right and each and every one of them it's about the team I get my line producer my production supervisor on first and we yeah. go you know what I mean yeah and I manage. I hardly do anything anymore. I've done it all. I know how to line produce. I know how to production supervise. I get it. Now I bring them on and I manage them. And they and through them we put the team there. You see how I negotiate. That's my thing. So I can get people down like a motherfucker. Line producers <laughs> and ads are the unsung heroes right. of production. You, I mean, they're worth their weight in gold. Right. And and I've seen. Worth, the AD is, is fucking worth more than that. Yeah, my, definitely. Oh, my. Yeah. And you uh, believe how many people are like, we don't need an AD? I'm like, what? Who says we don't <laughs> need like, an AD? That's, fuck your movie what? up, then. Uh, yeah, dude. fuck your movie up. That's <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing now. We can schedule this thing without them. Like, Canada. No, Canada is, <laughs> right. is so overtaxed, right? Because mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't mean literally taxed. I mean, um, uh, there's so many productions there now that you try mm-hmm. and get great line producers and great ADs and like they are they are they're the rock stars of the north because everybody is coming you know I mean at this point they're flying people in from like Finland and Japan and stuff (laughs) because all the Canadians are like booked up Mm -hmm. um but uh so we went to we went to Winnipeg, which is like right. you know it's not Toronto and Vancouver. It's this kind of little less populous city. How, and how, how did that city become the one? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, uh, the studio picked it, okay. and um, well, uh, because of the tax credit. So there's well, a Canadian that. tax credit, and then there's an additional Manitoba tax credit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. and. Uh, one of the writers on our show, Don Mancini, he mm-hmm. created Child's Play. Right. Um, I worked with him on Hannibal. Then he came on as a writer on Channel Zero. Okay. Um, he had shot uh, Curse of Chucky, the, the <laughs> second most recent Child's Play movie right. up up in Winnipeg. And so I called him, and he was like, go, it's great. Um, and I can tell you everybody who's there who you should hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we ended up hiring a ton of people who he had worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, great AD. Uh, we have a great line producer, and uh, again, it's my first time. Like, I could right. not have—I I would have been like drowning without them. Right. Like, those are the people who who let me and Craig and Stephen, right. you know, do our creative thing. So, yeah, it, it's all about the team. So, you were starting to tell us how you got on Team Wolf. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But let me just add this little part to it. Tell us how you do that, and then let's talk about how you um, put together your writers' room. Yeah. For, for the- um, okay, Teen Wolf. I'm going to try to make this a not not uh, just give you the headline. So I was here with a, this writing partner. Right. Um, we got um, uh, this my my best friend Ned Vizzini. Um, we came out. 
we were we had agents um, through novel writing, mm-hmm. so it, that's another way I was incredibly lucky. Right. Um, I was able to come into it sideways. Um, we got a stack of scripts, you know, for that staffing season. News mm-hmm. staff, we read probably fifty or sixty scripts. We picked out two scripts for <laughs> shows that hadn't come out yet that we thought were promising or in our wheelhouse or whatever. Right. One was The Walking Dead. Ugh. One was God. Teen Wolf. Right. Um, that and, pilot. God yeah, damn, and that the, pilot the, was so good. Yeah. Darabont. Ah, yeah. Frank does Darabont. not play. Ah. But uh, we, so we, we like just looked up everybody who might know somebody who was mm-hmm. connected with somebody who would get us a meeting on, on either of those shows. Right. Um, we ended up getting, we got a meeting with, uh, with Jeff Davis, who was the, going to be the writer and, and creator showrunner of Teen Wolf. This right. was for the first season. We met with him. We like brought him a book about werewolves. We had like a great <laughs> meeting, um, hit it off. Uh, he didn't hire us. Uh, a year later, I love um, stories. <laughs> a year, year later, uh, Ned goes to Comic Con, mm-hmm. and he stopped by the Teen Wolf panel where, like, I guess people were like signing something, and he like got in the line, hmm. and then one of the MTV executives from the show who had met us back mm-hmm. when we were like angling for meetings was like, "Oh, hey, I remember you. How's it going?" Like, hmm. yeah, the, and uh, and then. A week or two later, we got a call that they were staffing up for season two, and we'd like to come in and be on the the staff. Uh, So Jeff, I guess, remembered us from a year earlier. They don't forget. Um, It's like casting. You don't always hire people, but you like, but... Wait till I do episode two, it's or true. episode six. You know what I mean? You don't forget. Well, it's the true. town's too small, right. and like people who are assholes stand out. And right. pe- I mean, <laughs> that's true. And, this you know, is true. Yeah. true. And, and people assholes stand out. People who don't know how to make an impression, you totally forget about. Right. People who are nice, who, or, or or they do something that you, you just remember them. Mm-hmm. You remember them. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I remember this is maybe fifteen years ago now. Mm-hmm. My brother and I wrote before this, you were born. Don't yeah, worry, like yeah. so. So we wrote, we wrote this <laughs> script. We're going around town, all the kind of stuff. We met this guy at New Line, had, and we had a good meeting with him. Mm-hmm. It was cool and stuff like that. And then, literally, <laughs> wait for it. Nick. Twelve years later, <laughs> we're talking about another project at Dr. Dre's company. And this right. executive is now over there, and he's like, "Oh, I remember you guys. Right. You guys were great. Great writing sample." Mm-hmm. I was like. Yeah, but that was twelve years ago. <laughs> I, you, I mean, people, yeah. I mean, so if you write something good, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not something he made, but he remembered it, and and we had a good meeting right. with him, and you know, and then another friend of mine was telling me, oh yeah, you know, this guy, um, same same executive. She was, we were talking. She's, hey, you know, I met this guy, and he says he knows you. I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I hadn't seen him in so long, right. but it's something that I think that. People don't like understand enough about about how important those meetings are and how impressionistic you are. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and the you know, be nice to everyone. Right. Like, obviously, in your in your life, in your career, on set, into it, be nice to everybody. Like, yeah, it's good for your career. It's also just like good to right. put it out in the world. And when you're in a position to help people, like. Remember the people helped you. Right. And totally. Like you said, Nick, like you said, you, you did exactly that. You got your show and you brought on your boy from Hannibal. Right. You know right. what I mean? That well, happens, right? I mean, I was, I was lucky he was willing to come. Well, but, yeah. But, um, you know, there's, you, you can get your first job 
any way, shape, or form. You know, you got one of the writers on my show now uh, is on the show because. When we were on Hannibal, mm-hmm. she was like a fan on Twitter and would always like tweet at the writers. Okay. And then when I needed to hire an assistant mm-hmm. for uh, the, for Candle Cove for the first season of Channel Zero, mm-hmm. um, I was asking Brian Fuller if he had any recommendations. He said, "What about her?" Right. Uh, and I was like, "Oh yeah, she's actually she's really good. so." I like tweeted at you know, tweet, and um, she became my assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, co-wrote the finale of No End House, which is really? about to, the one that's about to come out, mm-hmm. um, and uh, is on staff for the third and fourth installments of the show. So, I gotta give you something on that. Let me that's just dope. take that. That's because the, see, that's, that's what it's, it's about. about. It is what that's it's about. That's what it's about. I, I generally, I think Twitter is a bad thing and yes. I try to avoid it. Yes. But in some cases, I, you know, yeah. that, you remember it, it worked her. out for her. So yeah. she, she, made a, she made a good statement. Made person, you, right? see, see, you know, it's, it's this thing that you just have to you, by being nice it costs you nothing right and it's really about it's you know it's one of these things where it's like at the end of the shoot drum directing I thank everybody the PA to the grip right. I said thank you thank you thank right. you I, I'm, almost every day I got to try to do that right I mean now selfishly it's because I know there's going to be one day where I got to push everybody yeah but <laughs> at the same yeah. time it's like what happened is not happening without all these people. Right. Yeah. And it's really a short-sighted, um, someone who's caught it in their own magic who thinks, so it's, my, it's me. It's just me. Right. It's just, as I do it all. Right. It's not. And they do a good job. You want to come back for the next movie or the yeah. next season of the show. You yeah. Know? Like, people are, are valuable. Yeah, well, like, yeah, well, yeah. People who made it work, you fucking want them. You do, like, and you like, oh, can we wait? Can you come? Yeah, we'll wait, push a week, or right. you know, because you want them. You want people yeah. that you know that that will make it happen. Because if because if you work with people who who drop the ball, then you're like, really? <laughs> oh, it, they're not coming back. There's a lot of other people who were. I, fire, I fired a lot right. of people and, on the set. And, trust and, me. You know, <laughs> like, you I'm know, not afraid to fire somebody. I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't have to hire you in the first place. Right. You know, it's like other. You know, like everyone's vying for the job. Right. Everyone is firing I'm, people is really hard. Uh, I dock over there. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I've never never fired a writer. <clears throat> That's um, good. But uh, yeah, yeah. I do these things where I do like like a writer like producers will hire me to. Uh, develop a pilot for them and I'll bring in like three or four writers and we'll be in here and we'll develop a show yeah. <laughs> and every year I try to give a film writer a chance to write in a room and I'll run it like the showrunner you know etc and every time we get to outline I always test that film writer I go I want you to write the first outline and they're like well, what do you want me to do and they're like here's an example and I have like a 15 12 15 page outline very detailed all prose hardly any dialogue and it's like interior, boom, boom, every single scene. Yeah. And they're like, can we just do this with beats? I'm like, oh boy, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> and I'm like, when do you need it? I said, tomorrow. They're like, tomorrow? Don't I have like a week like they're doing <laughs> other shows? Like, no, this is, we're developing this show. We got yeah. like three weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Always. Week one, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, you got to have, um, in addition to all the other stuff, you got to be fast yeah. for TV. Speed. You got you to be able to turn out... Um, you don't want to have to do this, right. but at some point on a show, uh, if you have a career, like you're going to have to write a whole episode in a weekend. Right. You know, you have to write a 40, 50 page episode right. in a weekend and like polish it later. Right. You know what I mean, um, well, yeah, because there's the team to help you. 
but you got to have something that they can work with. Right. Yeah. You know? But yes. that outline is so detailed on a TV show that you should just be able to fucking... No, no, I mean, no, you got to make a little no, bit no, of here I, and there. No, I, I get that. I, you know, but but, but, but uh, I, I think the thing that, like, I think what film writers always kind of... I think that they want it to be as close to production ready right. as possible. Right, they want to write two pages like, a day. Like, like, <laughs> like when it's turned in. Right. I don't think that they're realizing is... There's all these other people who are on the project with you, right. who are writing with you, who essentially are like, it's like they're all going, we're, we're all going for the same goal. The showrunner mm-hmm. wants this thing, so let's get something so that he can say, I like this, I don't like this ending, let's all sit down and, and figure out how to read the ending, or whatever it is. But it's, right. it's, there's, I think that's the mindset, is that the mindset is, you know, you don't get a shot to rewrite with your team or other people as a as a as a as a feature writer, right. if it, and if they don't like the draft, <laughs> bye. We're bringing John August. You know, <laughs> right. you know. So T- TV has changed my perception, or working in TV has changed my perception of what the script is. Mm-hmm. I don't think about the script anymore. Like I don't think about oh, I'm writing the script. I think I'm writing. The episode, the movie, the right, show. Like I don't right. think about the script as like I'm trying to get this document right and write the prose. Like it's like I know I'm going to be rewriting until the cameras roll, and I know now that uh, certain actors are going to have ideas. Either they're going to have like specific ideas, like mm-hmm. oh, this I want to change this or whatever. And like sometimes those ideas will be good, and I'm very open to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or we'll cast an actor who makes me think about it a little differently, and, mm, and then I'm going to rewrite definitely. for the actor. Um, but I, I don't think about I'm writing the script as 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 a document. Like mm-hmm. it's like we're shaping the this thing over here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, that's the thing too. I think there's that. There's that. You know, always they, people always tell you it's the blueprint. You right. just got to get it. You know, and it, and and once you can hand the blueprint out, it like it has this trigger effect to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's the main thing. You know, and I I, I mean, well, you're right. It's all about. You know, because the rest again, the rest of the team is going to contribute once you like once you have something yeah. to show them. You know, and you, and what, you know that. And, and the greater team, the production, the, right. the reality of production is the dialogue doesn't have to be right. They just need the scenes because they can plan the production. Yes, I'm saying, you know, I mean, right. the right. actors part of the team. The, this, oh, that's all. What props the do we need? That's all. You know, what I'm saying. So yeah, I was I was just thinking as you were talking, and you kind of answered the question. There was one another question I get a lot is, what have I learned? as a producer, it's made me a better writer. And and to some extent, I think you were getting into that. Like, that's made you a better writer because you think like a producer now and you know, like, what's missing or what isn't and things like that. And I was giving somebody, I was being interviewed on a show a few months ago and they asked me this question and I said, well, here's an example. And I was talking about the pilot we're going to go shoot. And I said, a lot of younger writers would have written this particular scene that I had where the main character has a daughter <clears throat> and we were like trying to figure out because we're going to shoot so fast, will we have time to shoot her? And I said, what if every time he opens his phone, we see her photo and then there's a little quick little moment where he calls out to her and then we pick up later and he's dropping her off from school, but we don't see her. He's leaving school. Anybody else would have wrote the whole scene and whatever. And it totally, totally works on the page and everything. And everybody's like, oh, that's my producer hat trying to figure out how to cut around but still letting the audience buy. He does have a daughter. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, production realities, right? Right. It shapes shapes how you look at the blank page. And that can be... 
a good thing and a bad thing, right? right? Obviously, for practical reasons, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. It means there's less you have to change later when you get into production and you realize, oh, shit, we can't afford that. Um, But at the same time, at at some points, I found myself, like, wishing I I had the kind of open mind. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. wishing I wasn't limited by... Like, you didn't learn all the habits, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, I... Like, ultimately, it's a good thing. It, It helps it, but... But I have felt the limitations, too, of like, shit, that's going to be too many shots. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but but those, <laughs> yes, those limitations are like having a, a, a form of poetry that you have to abide by, right. right? Like It makes you think about how can I tell this story cinematically in a producible way. Right. Um, and in a functional, healthy production – that always leads to something better. Right. And I, cause I got a note once uh, from a producer who says, the fucking script is amazing. He says, this action scene is crazy. If Christopher Nolan was going to direct it. Right. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I'm fucking going. See, see, you know what I mean? But it was a big lesson it was years ago. Yeah, see, but I learned. Yeah, yeah, well, ah, you know what yeah, I mean? You got to yeah, think. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Well, see, th- that to me is one of the things that I think is so. I hate to bring this up, but it's like one of the things that I I, I always feel is like is is kind of the drawback mm-hmm. with television. It's like television because you got to you know because you spend the same amount of money for maybe eight hour, ten hours of of, of content right. as you were for two hours in a movie, right? And the biggest difference is is that you can make these like the seminal moments of a scene mm-hmm. of a of a story, like the action things. They'll mean something through some like some crazy type of filmmaking right. that you just wouldn't have the opportunity to do on a television show because you know what? I can't spend a whole day shooting like what's maybe half a page. Right. It's not how to, I'm not allowed to do that. Like I just grew up, I, I saw this thing on Twitter the other day. There's a movie called The Villainous coming out, right? Hmm. It's some uh, Korean action film. I mm-hmm. saw that. You see this yeah. the thing with the motorcycle? I don't remember the movie. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, it's uh, uh, Okay, so th- I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, there's this, there's this, Chase, or mm-hmm. they're cha- they're, these six guys are chasing a woman on a motorcycle and they have katanas, right? Hmm. And it's like the whole thing is in the tunnel and they're like fighting. Like samurai. And, and, yeah, they're fighting on, like, like it's kind of like they're, uh, like, it's kind of like in a Kurosawa thing right. where they're on horses but they're on motorcycles in a, in a tunnel. And the, and the camera goes beneath the tire and goes beneath the bike and swings hmm. around. There's all this kind of crazy yeah. shit to get you into right. the thing. And I'm like, that is some cool ass fucking filmmaking. Mm-hmm. That's just like some narratively dope shit. But you, but it, and I was like, I, I hope, I, and that's and that's not even the the climax of the movie. It's just like right. a, a scene, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. But they were like throwing that out there, and that, that's one of the things that I think that I think is a difference too. Is that you say to yourself, what are you like trying to do to tell the story to move something to mm-hmm. move it along, yeah. as opposed to expand a moment to make it, you know, just. You know where people can go crazy is right. the film. Well, you think yeah. about what, what's your space within your budget and and in your means. So I don't. I mean, my show, our budget is probably like one fifth of the budget of like Stranger Things right. or something. It's really yeah, fine. No. We're like a weird financial model mm-hmm. that allowed us to get made. So so I just don't. First of all, I don't write big CGI things. Okay. Um, when we have 
creepy things. So everything's a know. lot of things are practical. Right? A lot of things are practical. Right. You know, we have uh, from season one. There's this tooth child guy. He's right. like a child covered in teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's a person in a suit. You know, mm-hmm. with some CGI touch ups. And mm-hmm. it's much better that way. I agree. Um, and and like I don't write big fight scenes now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've learned that like you know you have half a day to shoot a fight scene. It's not. It's just not going to be. Right. Um, it's, it's not going to be like uh, John Wick, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> exactly. you're, you don't have the time and resources to create a like whoa badass fight scene. Right. So you have to you have to rely on atmosphere, psychology, concept, um, and and cinema different different kinds of cinema. Right. Um, yeah, restraint well, and suspense. Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole point of that is this: like that's what you're saying about the limitations. The, the limitations of the writer because of the budget aren't necessarily a bad thing. They like like they do make you think about how, different ways of different ways of telling a story. Right. Like I remember this interesting quote that that, that um, Billy Wilder used to talk about. He was like, it was so it was he was like it was so much, you know. He was like, as soon as you could curse in the movies. Mm-hmm. The type of dialogue changed right. because oh, you totally did, agree see, see, because, see, because you couldn't have to find a, a smart, clever way to say something. Right. You had to, you could just say it, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 if you look at films at a certain like like once people begin to curse a certain, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies, dialogue had a different kind of flavor to it right. than that kind of like that witty playfulness that they were forced to do because of the limitation. But and but it makes those movies interesting. Because those guys are really having to think of some, they're really going, how do I get over this hoop? Shit. <laughs> you know, and the same thing that you're talking about now. It's yeah. like, okay, you know what? I can't bring an island to do something, right. but how do I make it interesting well, the same that's way? Well, you know, it's, CGI is profanity, right? Like yeah. You, you uh, and fortunately for me, that's I never. That's a really good analogy. I love that. <laughs> well, that's yeah, good, so that's yeah. what, you, yeah. what he's, um, uh, I, I, I never loved Big CGI spectacles, and right. I I like action movies just like the next guy. I mean, I look, but I I don't live for fight scenes. You know what right. I mean, I live for like weird, eerie, cinematic things. Mm-hmm. So no endhouse. We uh, and and Kevin, like for example, I like to bring in weird artists for the show. So season one, we brought in. Um, this guy Olivier de Sagazan, he's a performance artist. He covers himself in clay and sets himself on fire and transforms <laughs> himself into a monster. Dude. He's just a guy with some clay and right. stuff. You know, it's not expensive. Um, but I haven't seen it on any other show. Right. I'm not going to see it on any other show. Mm-hmm. Season two, we have uh, these weird sculptures and art installations and like crazy things. I don't want to spoil it, but right, right. we had this horror artist, uh, Sarah Sitkin. Um, she's a sculptor out of LA. Come in and do these like amazing things. It's none of it is CGI. Um, it's all just like cool ideas mm-hmm. expressed well, practically. Because well, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel CGI does rob a level of like. There's always there's always a type of creepiness that when you see shit that's real. Mm-hmm. It just it, it 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 shivers you in a way that you, I, yeah. I almost never get in CGI shit. Right. I mean, it's like the other day I was watching something about like something about like the best um, practical effects and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they showed that they and they show John Carpenter's the thing, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? It's yeah, thirty some years old. Right. It still fucking still freaks works. me out. I was like, fuck. And I've seen that movie a lot of times, but it's right. still that's the one he didn't tell him what was yeah, going to happen. Yeah, and it's boom, just, right? you, it's just, you just. There's something about that. I think mm-hmm. that, I, I mean, to me, I, I remember watching, like I said, like seeing the promos for the show. I hadn't seen the show, but I remember pre- promos for the show. I remember there's like a, like the color palette, mm-hmm. 
right. and everything and the atmosphere and it's like it really added something to me because the color palette is, it, it didn't follow that like overused you know like teal orange thing that we see all the time <laughs> you know and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and that immediately made me say oh what's this right because it looked like it looked like you guys had something more design going on mm-hmm. and, it's, yeah. and, and so now meeting you I hear that that was your design and I really appreciate that as someone who likes to look at things it's like okay so you weren't going for the easy thing and, and you were coming up with something that you knew was going to be like like you said earlier there's 500 channels 500 shows how do I differentiate myself yeah. you know and it's yeah. like I mean there is a great level of atmosphere in your piece. I mean, I, I, I want to see it because when I read that you were going to be on, I was like, fuck, I want to watch this because I remember this looked so cool when I was watching the promos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and so it's cool. Like, he, September he, 20th. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so here. Ta- <laughs> so it's cool hearing you talk about what you wanted to do and how, and how you were thinking about how do I do something that fits my voice and what I like to see and then because it's what I like in a way that I know no, that I know no one has seen, we will see it. They'll be like, fuck, I want to see more of this, right. you know? Well, people have an idea of what horror looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, it's usually kind of dark and grungy and washed out um, and uh, and punctuated by jump scares. Right, right. And, and I didn't want to do any of that. Um, and I wanted to subvert, like I was talking about before, the expectation that it would be campy. or So, so the first season has its very particular... Um, restrained, suspenseful, uh, almost uh, objective, um, in some cases, uh, style. And and I could that was always the intention. And I saw a really great expression of it in Craig's movie, The Boy. So that um, the design for that season, the atmosphere of that season is really it's just the fruit of like a collaboration between us and a meeting of the minds. And. And for No End House, I wanted something completely different from Candle Cove. I want mm-hmm. every season to have a, a totally different flavor. Right. Um, and, and I actually thought of it uh, a little bit as a John Carpenter vibe in, mm. in No End House, but um, uh, updated a little bit. Uh, it, and, and I want every season, even though they look different, to be kind of beautiful. Right. Uh, and... Uh, so our DP on season on, on No End House is this guy Isaac Bauman, who's a really really cool um, young DP who I, I got from music videos, uh, and um, they just shot a really like fluid, kinetic, beautiful, strange, atmospheric uh, show, and, and I can't wait for people to see it. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, I did the previews are out now and everything, but um, but I think people will will, will really. Uh, have a unique experience with this, particularly because there are, without giving too much away, there there are two different places that our characters go in No mm-hmm. End House. Mm-hmm. There's there's one world which is shot in one way, and another which is shot in another way, and mm-hmm. it's a really distinct, interesting um, cinematic thing that that um uh, that Stephen was able to pull off. Okay. See, that sounds cool to me because <clears throat> I, see, it's one of those things that, that I am such a proponent of the experiment of. You know, if you do a second season, you do a sequel or a movie, something like that. If you bring back kind of a different creative team, in particular the cinematographer, and you and you say we can't do what we did last time, mm-hmm. we can't have that. I mean, some people will find that like off putting because they're because they're they're looking to buy that next Big Mac that you gave them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they want to taste the same. Mm-hmm. But if you have the ability to say no, 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 it's gonna we're in that world, but we're looking at it differently. 
Yeah, there's connective like tone, tissue. You, you know, I think but, what you're saying, like you got a different DP. You know, it's it's like I, it's something that like that can give you a this like subliminal touch to how it looks, and but still, like you said, like it like. It, you know, like it's not gonna look a sitcom, obviously, like that kind of yeah. lighting, but it's not gonna be the same as the first season. Yeah, I mean, if you watch, you know, American Horror Story or something, they do a different story each season, but right. it's cinematically a very similar style, right? right. Like right. They, intentionally so, right? Um, they're, they're telling you like this is the, we're we're in the same language, uh, and and I wanted to give people a really different flavor every season of, of Channel Zero. Can I ask you? A qu- I have two questions for you. One in regard to that. With the cast, do you guys bring back the same cast on season two, or did you mostly no? Mostly, okay. mostly we're going to do a whole like fresh start, new cast. Mm-hmm. So, um, because we cast locally out of Winnipeg, yeah. uh, there are some some people who come back who like we really loved, and yeah. there was a, there was just like a perfect spot for them sure. in the next installment. Mm-hmm. But our main cast totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got uh, John Carroll Lynch this time. Yes. You know, you Twisty the Clown, yes. Zodiac Killer, mm-hmm. uh, Fargo. Who? Oh, that uh, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, Zodiac. He's yeah, that Zodiac. Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know his um, name, but he's good. Who can be? You know, he can be like. Goofy, he can be sweet, he can right. be sinister, he can be fatherly, he can be child. He's like one of these guys who's just like got a lot of bullets in his gun. Totally. You know, he he he's uh, he's always dangerous. He's always him. dangerous though to me. Like if he's in a movie, not in Fargo. Uh, I'm kind of like, right, oh, true. he played. He, he was, put he was the husband, like sweet, lovable husband. husband. Yeah, in Fargo, yeah, yeah. Right. Who's, like, but, but, like, but you know, because he was in a movie called The Invitation recently. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's because I just seen, I just watched Zodiac again before I saw that. And I was yeah. like, this guy, you need to watch out for him. I mean, he was in a show. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Something's just going to happen. But just gonna happen like, he's, he's also right. in The Founder. You know, he's one of the McDonald's. Oh, I mean, look, he's, 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 he's a great he's actor. A he's a great actor. Like you said, his range is so, his range is. That's oh, right. He played one of the brothers. Yeah. That's, ah, love that movie. Yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's good. I just can't remember his name. And, and so, um, it's other than him. It's mostly a pretty new cast. So he's kind of like you know the uh, almost a mentor figure for for our cast. So is he, that, is he top of the call sheet? Is he, is he the main one? Yes. Okay. Uh, wait, I can't remember. I can't remember the order, but right. I, I I can't remember. No, I mean he deserves uh, the show. So I'm like, but, great. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, Amy Forsyth is right. the the protagonist. She goes into the the No End House. Oh, yeah. um, is her best friend Aisha D mm-hmm. uh, and Jeff Ward. Um, and these are actors who came to us in, in really kind of interesting and different ways. Like I had seen Amy's audition for a completely different project that mm-hmm. a friend was working on. So mm-hmm. like this is, you know, we're talking about how writers get right. hired. This is how actors get hired. Right. Like I had seen Amy's audition for a totally separate movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when we were casting, I went to the casting director, like, make sure we bring her in. And then Steve and I saw her audition. There was never any other choice for, yeah. for the main character. We would just, like, send her alone to the network and studio. It was yeah. like, she's the one. Right. Um, and and Aisha, um, she's, like, working right and left. She's booked a bunch of stuff. And we saw her early on, and I was like, she's great. Can we bring her in? Then they mm-hmm. were like, uh, she actually booked a, a pilot. She's not available. <laughs> and so for like a month, I was that saying, find, find oh, me another yeah, HD. Right. Find me another HD. And then they were like, actually, it turns out her schedule is going to be done the pilot by the time you're shooting. <laughs> and they won't know if it's going to series until after you're shooting. So, she, so then we got her. Right. Um, and Jeff Ward was, 
He starred in a short film mm-hmm. that I wrote based on a short oh, story yeah. a long time ago. And um, and I just was like, he'd be perfect for this. Right. So we called him up. So, that, you know, it's, it's, it's like the getting staffed on your first show. Right. It's just like these things, you know, old friends. I'm saying you uh, don't, you people don't remember you do you a have, good job. Oh, my God. It's, no, it's, it's amazing how I it mean, works. It's, you know what? It's like I have a... Uh, you doing okay on time? Okay. I have like an IMDb list, mm-hmm. you know, like just uh, it's actors who I've seen like in little, they're never the star, mm-hmm. but they just like, so they did something to me in the movie. And I was like, oh, who is this person? Right. I want to like put her in something or him in something. Because it's something, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, I, just, I just, and I keep the list because, you know, I, I just like, um, you so much stuff going on in your head that you, that you for, you forget about stuff. But right. I just look at the list whenever I would. I mean, I remember there's a movie. I was in this movie. It was out last year. It had um, it was Alan Rickman's last film with Helen Mirren about the drone. Oh yeah, the drone strike. About? I can't. Oh yeah, uh, it's really really good movie. Right. Really, really I, good not, movie. That's not Eye in the Sky. Is it? Maybe it is Eye in the Sky. There's two drone movies. I can't remember. Yeah, if that's the, uh, that's the one. maybe I, I don't know. Anyway, there was okay. So so Aaron Paul's in it, and he's got a little role as one of the, the pilots. But the girl who plays his co-pilot. I thought she was just amazing. I was like, she yeah. only got like two scenes. I was like, you know what? She's on the list. You know, it's interesting because that's it's it's like your guy Jeff Ward. It's like I remember him from something from yeah. a while ago, and it's like those people kind of fit into your vision when you're writing, and you're kind of like, who would? Yeah, I am this guy. That was it. You know, you're kind of like, who would be this? Who would kind of fit this role? And they just pop in, and it's like it's great. That you're in a position that you can say when you're writing, and you know exactly what you want for the character, and then you go, oh, I got something perfect mm-hmm. for this. And interestingly, something similar to that happened on season one, where uh, Kendall Cove, uh, Paul Schneider. I had mm-hmm. obviously people know him from Parks and Rec, which yeah. I hadn't really watched, but I had seen him in. A lot of things, but and, you know, supporting roles. But in Assassination of Jesse James by mm. the Coward Driver, which was one of, my, one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Okay. And his performance in it was so memorable mm-hmm. and so odd and so cool that he was he was one of the actors I had in mind while writing that character. That helps in right. Candle Cove. Oh, that's Andrew Dominic, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Man, so, I love that guy. So my last question for you is about the writers' room. Um, like how you staffed mm-hmm. the writers, you started you started going to the you know this is a rant room we've all over the place. Um, you started to go into that, and like what were you looking for when you were staffing this particular room? Because we 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 talk a lot about horror on the show. We interview a lot of horror writers and whatnot, um, and and so I'm just always curious, and, and I'm always surprised when I meet like a showrunner for a horror film, and some of the people on staff didn't even write horror. You didn't, but it was in the writing, so that's why I'm always curious. Like, were you just looking for horror writers? Like, how did how did you staff your room? I had a couple of people in mind at the very beginning. Right. Um, one of them was Don Mancini, yeah. who is a good friend, is the Chucky guy, mm-hmm. Hannibal. Um, so I knew with me and him that we had horror. Right. So I wasn't really looking in the other, for the other writers to have horror experience. I mean, I, I told. Um, the agents who would send people to me, I'm, I'm actually looking for more dramatic writers. Um, and somebody else, a mutual friend, recommended Harley Payton, who is, he's written all different genres, all different kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Most notably for me, he was one of the, he wrote like 12 episodes of the original Twin Peaks. Right. Um, 
and lucky, along, lucky you, right? Yeah, I know. Um, so I, I sat down with him and immediately knew that I wanted him. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, then I had my upper levels. It's going to be a small room anyway. And then uh, I met um, two, uh, two younger writers, uh, Erica Sala, who's a playwright from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I read her play, and it was just like excellent uh, she's not a horror writer at all um but a great character writer and katie gruel who had uh written for a couple of sci-fi shows yeah. um and i wouldn't say she's a horror writer either um she's genre drama writer yeah. and their their samples were good you mm-hmm. know and and so i was looking for a diversity of perspectives you know yeah. people could write horror people could write um funny stuff like mm-hmm. which which like harley kind of embodies all that you Definitely. know like you wrote like bandits and right. like wrote the story of friends with benefits and like mm-hmm. he's you can just write anything so um you know i was looking for for people who could do different things and i was looking for uh nice people because the ecosystem of a writer's room you know you're in a room with people for whatever it's going to be four six eight months Mm -hmm. could be years if the show goes Mm -hmm. for seasons uh if somebody is annoying like or (laughs) difficult you know it makes your job very hard and and so uh, another showrunner told me um if you are when you're in a staffing meeting if somebody comes in when you're hiring, mm. uh, somebody comes in and annoys you even a little bit, don't hire them because wow. the time time will magnify that right. thing. Because they're showing you who they really are anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's them at their best. Exactly. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, no, nobody's an angel. So, uh, you, you know, but if you have, except you <laughs> and you. Um, you don't but, see that halo? Beyonce did a song about me, damn it. I got wings, man, behind my back. Let me show you. <laughs> All right, well, I, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you got to hire, like, nice, calm people and people who uh, who are going to speak up but not be overbearing, and people are just going to work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really lucky over my career to be in a series of good writers rooms right. and to learn from good showrunners how to how to how to manage a room how to tell a serialized story mm-hmm. i mean starting with jeff davis who ran a great room on season 2 teen wolf mm-hmm. um through like Sean Ryan Brian Fuller um i just learned different things from from all those guys right. but uh you can't come out of Sean Ryan room without being a beast, Sean's like, like <laughs> Sean's, Sean's a great. There's a, there's I like love Sean. Some of those guys, like Sean, mm-hmm. Glenn, Zara. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got, but you know, see now, Glenn worked for Sean, so it's right. like kind of like, yeah. where did he learn yeah. that? Yeah, um, Kurt, and yeah, all Kurt, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, like, like <laughs> they have a really good way of. Um, uh, Charles Murray, all of them was in that like, room. Of trying yeah. to, did they impart what is best about what the business has to be, so right. that you can get. You know, like their vision. Done. I mean, I mean, I mean, like the shield isn't as good as it is unless Sean knows how to be to communicate how to to make you the best person for him. Right. You know. That, I mean, it wouldn't be no, so because yeah. all those guys. Mm-hmm. He's um, Sean is uh, he's interesting because he's so calm. 
so calm. Mm-hmm. Like, you never see him get rattled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had lots of conversations with Sean. Sean's a cool dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to working for him, it, it was scary because The Shield was the show that made me want to write TV. Right. right. I was writing novels. I wanted to write films. I started watching The Shield. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit, this is where the writing is. <laughs> like, this, somebody's writing this. And so to, to work for him, I worked on a show called Last Resort. Mm-hmm. Um, it was scary because you he's he's such a sphinx. Like mm-hmm. you often can't tell, like, does he like this idea? Or like is he mad at me? Or like what's going on? Um, but he, he empowers you, you know, he lets right. you see every part of the process, mm-hmm. he lets you go and cover set, um, you see editing, like it's which, which by the way, I'm sure on your show, because you guys are in Canada, the writers don't go to set. Not usually. Just maybe you on the number two the, or something. Yeah, like that. the scheduling <laughs> Almost doesn't allow it because the writers' room ends around okay. the time that we get started. Right. That said, some of the writers do come, mm-hmm. and um, so like Don has gone up there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another writer came up and covered set for a little bit this last time. Right. Um, I try to bring them up. Uh, it, it's it's sort of a matter of schedule, yeah, I'm sure. but I think it's really good. I mean, it was really good for me right. to uh, working for Sean to go mm-hmm. and cover set as like a baby writer. Right. Um, Everybody, hopefully, should have that opportunity. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, good showrunners run their shows, I think, a little bit like a showrunner training program. Right. Like, Sean does that. Right. Um, and, you know, on, on Hannibal's a little different. Like, the, the room ran a little differently. But, uh, but I went to set um, just because some of the writing moved up there okay. when they went in production. Right. I was working on episodes. Um, and both those experiences were particularly valuable in right. preparing me right. to kind of get on the train myself. Right. That's important. Cool. What yeah. was that? Well, thanks, man. Cool. Awesome, awesome episode. Thank you, guys. I think you, gave, you. I think you gave some people some game. That's the key. Hope so. <laughs> So are you uh, on social media? You got uh, yeah. Twitter, Instagram? I'm on Twitter. I try not to look at it too much, <laughs> but when the show is airing, I usually right. check in. Right. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Well, this will be out the following Monday, and we'll be, so leading up to the 20th, it'll be two or three times that you'll hear it all over the internet. Cool. So I need you to just be yeah. tweeting it back. You'll tag me. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Cool. And Thanks, what do you... Is it just your name on um, yeah. on Twitter and stuff? Yes, it's at at Nick Antosca one word. Okay. Um, Instagram I think is also just okay. At cool. Nick Where are you at, Chris? I'm at Unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. That's what's happening. And I am <laughs> I am Hilliard Guest, <laughs> and I am at Hilliard Guest on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool. Um, <laughs> you can follow the show Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions? Screenwriters Rant Room at gmail dot com. Um, shout out to Lisa. Uh, she's our other co-host. She's not here today. Where's she in? Louisiana. Yeah, she's a right. sci-fi. That's right. Nice. She, she hit us up. She, she, she went she by, the, she went yeah, by the set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, shout out to Lisa. We'll see you next week. Um, what else? What else? God, there's so many things going on. Um, okay, so I'll go ahead and shout out. Um, um, for all you guys who want to come to the Writers Guild on September 20th, um, you can RSVP for the Black Scene. Um, I have to put like a link in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that tomorrow. Um, shit like that. Uh, what else is going on? Just got back from vacation. I never take a break. I usually, yeah. I'm usually on vacation sitting at the beach with my computer right. Yeah, it's man. Ridiculous. You got you to gotta turn off your brain I sometimes. I turned off for a week. I sat by the pool in Palm Springs. I just chilled. Nice. Ah, 
I feel rejuvenated. I'm ready to go, Jack. I've never been to Palm Springs. <laughs> should go. go. Oh, it's you nice. Totally go. Just rent a little house I for a couple been in a days. a long time, but I remember. Did you a pool and a hot tub with your girl? Do I've your got thing. an image in my head of what it is, and you go and see if it matches up. Dude, that's beautiful. You, you know what? If you go, it does fit with your image. Look, the image yeah. you have, you, you can find that there. Right. Frank Sinatra is involved. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Just a bunch of that. beautiful you can, you know, houses. houses. Oh, my God. Yeah, because the first time I went, I know you're trying to get off, but the first time That's I good. went, we went to Coachella, I think, in like 2005. So right. before it was this big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a friend of ours like knew he was dating... Someone who was who was who was part of the Anheuser Busch family or some shit. Oh, like that. Will was just telling me about so, this last yeah, night. So we went to this. Uh, we went to to one of these Frank Sinatra X type of Rat Pack type of houses, right. and I was like, "Well, this is what Palm <laughs> right. Springs is," you know. <laughs> and then we went out to the Coachella thing, and we went and we came back. We went to some. We went to someone else. We went to a hotel afterwards, and it was like more about what most people experience. Right. And so it's all there. That's what was interesting about yeah. it. Yeah. But, the, but the but the cool thing about this time of year is it's hot as fuck. There's not that many people there right now. So this is actually the time to go because everything's pool. cheaper. You know what I mean? So you can rent a house for, you know, $150, $200 a night. You know, it's, it's worth it. Try nice. Uh, so anyway, y'all know how we do it on the rant room. <laughs> we silly as fuck. Thanks again, Nick. We appreciate you, man. That was Thank awesome. Thank you. And we're going to definitely be in touch and be sending you some shit. Cool. Um, so y'all know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? 2017. 2017. Peace, y'all. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rain room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they sneak up all the Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.